When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, as I started, I think, my third company, he said, if, if, you, don't, if you don't have a, an instance every single week where you ask yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I want to quit. <laughs> he said, if you don't have that once a week, you're not doing this right because it should be hard. It should be. It should be challenging. Um, In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. It's your host, Jerome. And I've got the great pleasure of having Doug Spade with me today. Uh, again, Richard Berryman reached out to his network and sent us an amazing guest. Doug, how are you today? I'm great, Jerome. How are you? Man, I'm glad to be here. Just got back from a powwow, and you're the, one of the first conversations I've had since I got back. Um, powwow's our mastermind, but, you know, it's it's good to hear about the success you've been having. So if you wouldn't mind, could you run down a little bit of your background and what you're currently focused on for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'd love to. Um, so I'm a, uh, I'm a, in, in terms of background, I'm a third generation entrepreneur. Um, so my father and grandfather um, before him started a string of family owned companies way back in 1938. And so uh, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, um, saw the struggle every single day, uh, and I started my first uh, startup company right um, actually before I graduated North Carolina A&T um, as, uh, as, a, as a rising senior. I uh, started my first company, Core Services, Inc., um, in the engineering design space. So. Uh, since then, I've had a string of tech companies. I'm on tech company number five right now. Um, and in between those, uh, those startups, I had uh, a career in technology commercialization. So that's actually taking inventions and innovations uh, mostly out of a research environment. So universities, federal laboratories, research institutions, 
and taking them through a patent process and then either spinning them out as startup companies or licenses to, to large corporations. So most of my career, the majority of my career has been split across tech startups and technology commercialization. Wow. Wow. So 1939 was when it all started. How did you guys get into entrepreneurship and what did like that business look like? Oh, great question. So, um, so much of entrepreneurship uh, hinges upon opportunity recognition, quite honestly. It's just the, the ability to to gauge the landscape, the market, and see what's missing and what you could provide uh, that could uh, both satisfy a customer's need and also create a, a market opportunity for you. So in 1939, um, 3839, my grandfather uh, started his first company, which was a um, automotive shop. And uh, quite frankly, um, there was an auto repair shop that he started almost by um, by necessity because he was starting a taxi cab company at the same time and he, he needed the, the ability to fix his own cabs. Uh, so he had, had uh, just launched the taxi cab company, realized that he didn't need to take it any, uh, those cabs anywhere for them to be repaired, that he and his brothers at the time uh, could actually serve that purpose. And then they started a company that's still running today, um, 80 years in. Um, we're, we're still plugging away at it. And, and since then he has, uh, my grandfather and father have started some seven or eight companies among, among the two of them. Um, everything from taxi cab companies, automotive service, um, auto dealers. Um, we were even into, um, to oil, um, distribution. Uh, several years ago, uh, property management, like it was uh, a, a complete um, diverse portfolio of companies, but they were all linked to each other in one way or another. Uh, but it was truly op opportunity recognition that made all of that happen. And that was the same for, for my companies as well. Wow. So you really got to understand the industry in order to uh, recognize the opportunity and then de design a solution that actually, you know, solves the problem. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So to give you a little bit of context in my first um, startup right out of school at A&T, um, I had a classmate, uh, Landry Shore, and I had done uh, engineering internships uh, the summer after our junior year. And we both were managing engineering drawings and CAD drawings for um, major Fortune 100 companies. And we both came back to Greensboro and we were exchanging notes on how our internships went. And we realized that if, if we as two young, what, 22 year olds were managing all of this engineering data for these multi-billion dollar companies, um, that there may be an opportunity for us to uh, manage the engineering data and drawings for multiple companies in the space. Uh, you know, so 
we decided to uh, form a company and uh, start prospecting, reaching out. We actually used the the um, our status as students at the time to call out to CEOs and chief technical officers and chief engineering officers uh, under the auspices of gaining of doing research. And those uh, those companies, most of them signed on as clients um, downstream. Our first two clients were Procter and Gamble and uh, Miller Brewing Company. That's a big deal. I mean, those are big fish. How do you how do you land those guys? I mean, so there had to be a pretty tough conversation to transition from, hey, we're we're doing research to we've got something that's going to solve a problem for you. Actually, um, it was the coming in under the auspices of, of being students and doing some market research was actually the perfect way to, uh, to engage those companies. The, the great thing about doing that for all the college students listening um, or high school students listening, the great thing about calling uh, executives and saying you're doing market research for your institution is it everyone loves to speak with students, <laughs> everyone, bar none. Um, executives will stop and put it on their calendar uh, because they love to invest in the next generation of, of leaders. So it was a great way for us to make direct contact with those leaders and have some really candid conversations around uh, where they were with their engineering staff, um, the skill sets of their engineering staff, and how we could augment that with um, the skills that we had. So we had a very strong value proposition that we could be the transitional force for them to move from uh, paper drawings, where many of these organizations had about 15,000 engineering drawings on paper. Um, and we, our, part of our value proposition was that we would convert those into, into CAD drawings and then develop systems to manage all of that data. And it was a perfect time <laughs> in the marketplace uh, because many of the engineers that were retiring didn't know anything about CAD. Um, and many of those engineering staffs were older. So it was perfect timing for us to, to insert ourselves and it worked out well. It sounds like it. So you said you saw the struggles of entrepreneurship from the beginning. So what was life like before you started your own company? Like, tell me about the dining room table moments and this really like, what do the struggles actually look like? And why would you, if you saw those struggles, why would you want to go down this path? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, my wife still reminds me of, uh, of the when we met in college, I told her I would absolutely never start my own company because of what I saw growing up. And the first thing I did before I graduated was start my own company. Um, so, so yeah, there's a bit of irony in that. Um, the The experience was great, right? So, so my um, my father in particular was really adept at um, being able to pick geographic regions that needed services. And so I got to see him interact with customers um, in the black community, in the white community, in the business community. Um, I went around along for the ride for, for many, of those, uh, many of those meetings and engagements. So I got a chance to see how um, he was laser focused on his customers. Um, the, the motto of uh, my parents and grandparents uh, 
operations was a business with a soul. And what that meant was you're more than just a number or a check <laughs> to us. Um, we, you know, you're, you're a person with needs and dreams and aspirations, and we want to understand all of that so that we can deliver the right service to you, uh, the right level of, of service and solutions to you. So I got a chance to see that right up front, and that sort of colored everything that I've done since. Um, just taking that, uh, being laser focused on providing value to customers is the core of every single business. And so um, I got a chance to see that. Um, at the dinner table, we would talk about um, <laughs> profitable businesses versus low margin ones. Um, we got a chance to talk about um, team building and what it took um, for them to build successful organizations um, and sustain teams. Uh, there were a lot of, of bad calls on uh, personnel, uh, but that just comes with the territory when you're growing, right? You're not gonna get all of them right. Um, and the way that you deal with those really tells you a lot about, uh, about people's character and people's um, ethical background. Uh, so I got to learn all of that. <laughs> so you you told you told your wife that you weren't going to do it, and you decided to do it before you left school. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The the more certain path would have been to go get a job, right? I mean, that's the fairy tale mm -hmm. we're all told, right? Go to a good school, get a good job, get married, have kids, and work till you're yep. sixty or whatever, and then quit and get social security. <laughs> Um, what made you, outside of having the example at home, what made you leave the certain behind and start your pursuit? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, nothing um, worthwhile comes out of certainty. Um, certainty is an illusion, quite honestly. Uh, and that, uh, the track that you just outlined, um, it, yes, it happens for some people, but increasingly, especially in, as we go into you know, 2020, um, that's very rare that somebody goes into an organization and grows and stays there for their entire career. So um, for me, it was a simple calculation. And this has been true with every one of the five startups that I've, I've launched. Um, for me, when I can finally see the, the overall vision and the opportunity, um, I ask myself a very simple question. And that question is, Will I hate myself if I do not take this thread and see where it goes? If I look back in two years, three years, five years, 10 years, will I regret not having explored this? And in order to ask myself that, that I also have to be comfortable with the skills and experience that I've obtained, you know, are they marketable enough to go somewhere else if things go south? Right. That's the fallback position is <laughs> you can can you get a job um, if things go south uh, with the skills and, and, and experience you've obtained? And most most often, the you know, the answer is yes. So it really comes down to, you know, will I will I regret not seeking this opportunity and exploring it and see where it goes? And that, quite frankly, has has worked out really well for me. So. Did you did you spend time in nursing homes and find out that regret was 
the one thing that most people who are close to end of life, that was the thing that they would talk about most or what made regret, you know, top of mind for you at such a young age? Well, it was, um, it was really that, you know, the, the world is a really big place, right? And uh, if you simply work with um, the small set of um, experiences and knowledge that you have um, and don't grow and expand those every single day, learning about new markets, learning about new opportunities, learning about new segments of, of business, like um, you're really limiting yourself tremendously. So for me, when my eyes started to become wide open, um, when I started to do internships and meet with um, meet with uh, executives, when I started, quite frankly, when I started reading the Wall Street Journal uh, back then, like for me, that was that was like the best uh, both entertainment and information I could possibly find because there were all types of businesses that I didn't even know existed. And so for me, it was, um, you know, when I was in college, I would go to the library, read all the Wall Street journals, find out about all of these different um, business verticals and markets uh, that I had no idea existed. And for me, it was more of, uh, you know, these sound so interesting, so fascinating, and quite frankly, so lucrative that I've got to I've got to explore them. I've got to get out there. I've got to see what, what there is, what the world has to offer. Um, so it was more about doing that and not having the regret of just kind of playing it safe. Um, that really drove me. So did you get a call to action prior to when you actually started your venture in school that you refused or said that you weren't going to do it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the the seminal moment for me in school was um, I actually got a job offer um, with. Uh, so I was really into obviously growing up in a family of of mechanics and auto enthusiasts. I was really into racing, and I got a a job offer from um, an automotive company's racing division, which is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> you know, most of the time during school. Um, but when I got the call, I really thought about, you know, hey, is this going to be, am I going to, is this going to be one of those situations where I go in and work my way up from, you know, the, the bottom of the ladder within an organization and go through all of the, the, the steps um, to try and climb the ladder? Or um, will I go and try to build my own ladder? And I elected to, to go and and build my own ladder. And it has just become second nature ever since. Wow. So who showed up to help you along the way? Um, wow. Across all of those, um, uh, across those uh, four or five companies, a variety of people. So um, surprisingly in, in startup number one, um, many of our clients, the staff on the staff of our clients, we had an engineering director, um, a VP at um, at one of our our major clients, at Philip Morris, um, who eventually became just an overall um, personal mentor for me and for for my partner, uh, and he gave us a lot of guidance in the early stages. Um, 
obviously in the early stages of any venture, you're experimenting a lot. Um, you're trying a, a bunch of new things. Not all of them are working. If, if you're if you're doing it right, you're trying a lot of things. You're iterating. Um, and not all of them are going to work. And so sometimes it takes someone standing outside of it because you're too close to it. Um, take someone standing just outside of it to say, hey, you know what? I see this pattern. Um, you know, maybe you're missing this because you're you're too involved in it. But here's what I see and here's what um, what you need to take into account. And several people like that emerged. Um, my first attorney, uh, my corporate attorney, um, was a former investment banker from Goldman Sachs. He became a really good friend, a lifelong mentor for me. Um, a lot of people came out of the, the woodworks. Um, my family, my father, of course, and grandfather would grill me whenever I come home from <laughs> for, for holidays on how the company was doing and the, the decisions that I was making. So it, it was really a great, uh, great environment. It sounds like you have plenty of support. And I guess your experience is different from a lot of people who, who have a community around them that has taken a more traditional path. Um, you guys have been trailblazers for decades and decades. So, you know, they could understand what you were going through. And they probably saw some of the experiences that you had before you even knew you were going to have them. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, and in fact, one of my mentors put it, um, years ago, he, he really hit the nail on the head when he said, you really need people around you that can see around corners for you. Mm -hmm. And when he said that the light went off, it was absolutely perfect. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, um, of all of the founders and entrepreneurs that I work with, I highly, highly, highly recommend that they establish a board of advisors, um, to do just that like three to five people that they can get on the phone at the same time uh, once a month and just go through, here's where we are, here's some of the decisions that we're having to make um, and just have them look around corners for you and help guide you in some of those decisions. Awesome. So, I assume that it got hard at some point and you thought about turning around and going back. Uh, <laughs> when, when was that? And when did you realize you had to keep going like this, this had to happen? <laughs> um, so whenever you're uh, uh, an entrepreneur and especially when you're working in the technology sector, um, as one mentor told me, uh, as I started, I think my third company, he said, if, if you don't, have a um, if you don't have a, an instance every single week where you ask yourself what am I doing why am I doing this I want to quit <laughs> he said if you don't have that once a week you're not doing this right because it should be hard it should be it should be challenging um, and that hey guys back in 2016 me and the team decided to formalize dream catchers as an organization that could help people achieve their wildest dreams if this is you Please visit our website at dreamshouldbereal.com in order to find out the details of our services and how we can help you become a dream catcher. Talk to you soon. Um, and that proved correct as well. Um, I don't know if it turned out to be every single week, but there are certainly times where things get difficult. You know, um, market forces change and you have to, you know, adapt to them. 
Um, customers, you might, you know, there are times where you have paying customers that aren't your, your, um, your target customer. Uh, and they're actually bad for your business and you've got to, you know, <laughs> even though they're a source of revenue, you've got to, to let them go and focus on your, your target customer, um, so that you don't get farther and farther away from your core mission and your, your core activities. So all of those, those times, um, cash flow crunches, like, oh, when you can't make payroll, things, you start to ask yourself a lot of questions and you do a lot of praying. So there are really tough times. Um, you know, there's, and over the course of an entrepreneurial career, um, I could certainly say that, you know, I've had ebbs and flows in, in, as it comes to like prosperity and then, you know, lose everything, gain it back, lose it again. Uh, that's just the ride that we're on, and it becomes somewhat addictive. You can never tell how things are going to work out, but you constantly have faith that they eventually will. Right. So do you have, you know, two or three, like, short stories of kind of those challenging experiences? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, um, let's see. Oh yeah. So I had, um, this is company number one. Um, we were expanding, uh, growing rapidly. We were doing uh, engineering design and, um, targeting these large manufacturing plants. And we had opened up three different offices across the country. Um, and I was setting up in, um, Fort Worth, Texas, setting up an office in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, one of uh, our clients where we were expanding into different services beyond engineering, um, one of our clients noticed uh, that, that we didn't follow a certain procedure um, to bring on new employees that would be on site at their place. And um, the customer just, I don't know whether it was just general skepticism of two young black men <laughs> with this company um, in, in three or four states um, expanding too quickly, or if we really had just dropped the ball on a, on a process step. And one of our customers um, sued us. Uh, they brought in their team of high-powered attorneys and um, took depositions. I mean, it was a horrible experience um, because we didn't think that we had done anything wrong. Um, simply, we were we were just trying to expand into uh, into other services, had had made commitments to new employees, and all of that um, fell apart with that client. And we wound up having to let the new employees go. Um, we still wound up keeping that client over the long term, but it was a really uncomfortable experience for us. But we learned a lot through it. Um, we learned to be even more focused on process and making sure that we were going through the right steps in every single move that we made. Um, and if we didn't know the right steps for us to bring on the right expertise. So uh, a lot of good came out of that, but man, it was tough. It sounds like it was tough. I, those things are uncomfortable for sure right <laughs> mm -hmm. absolutely so what was your worst fear in going through the process and how'd you break through it um 
There was, um, once again, it goes back to surrounding yourself with the right, with the right people. Um, there were employees that we had on board that stuck with us. Um, they had had faith in the two of us. They had faith in what our company was doing. Um, and they didn't turn tail and run. And so to this, to this day, I'm really grateful for, um, a group of, of core employees that really stuck it out with us and encouraged us along the way when we, when we got down. Um, the same is true for the advisors that we had around us as well. And this goes back to, to my recommendation for all entrepreneurs to have advisors around you who know what's happening with your business. Um, when, 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 and if things go south and things become really tough, they already have a background on what you're doing, what you're about, how you operate. Um, and they can really be a source of, of tremendous support for you when you're going through tough times and making tough decisions. So our, our little constellation of, of, of advisors that we had around us at the time were extremely valuable. Um, and we could, we could go to them with anything. Our relationship was purely candid. Like we would tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and they would, they would help us and provide their, their wisdom in return. Um, and that helped us through through a number of times. And that scenario played itself out over almost all of my, my startups. So were you guys paying the advisors or were they donating just as a Great question. <laughs> yeah. So initially, um, the, the good thing about advisors is that um, advisors are really just volunteers that believe in you. Um, as individuals, they believe in you as um, you know, see potential in you and they want to help support you. Um, and so for us, it was, um, at the time we were, we were probably meeting with advisors or having a call with advisors once a quarter. And so we were, we were very sensitive about, um, we didn't want to waste anybody's time. Right. So we'd have a one to one and a half hour call once every three months. And we just lay it all out for them. Here's where, what's going on. Here's where we are. Here's the next milestone we're pushing towards. Here's what we need. And those folks would, um, in some cases, like make calls for us, make introductions to potential customers or employees or, you know, investors, whatever the case may be. Um, so that first level, um, that board of advisors level is, is uncompensated. Um, or at least in my cases, it's been uncompensated. Um, however, there have been situations where I've elevated um, advisors to board of directors, and that means they actually have a stake in the company. I give them equity, um, a small piece of equity for their contribution um, to because we want them vested in our success. Um, and so they're actually shareholders in the company. Um, and it's not just a volunteer effort to help out, uh, you know, to help out and, and give advice. There's actually a, a material motivation for it. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Um, and the progression of the promotion, I assume, is directly aligned with their contribution. Um, so that's, mm -hmm. that's beautiful. So was there a point when everything was on the line? And did you ever hit rock bottom? 
I've, I've hit rock bottom probably three or four times. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just the way things, um, the way things go, you know, I've had, um, I've had people say to me, you know, Hey, I'd never be able to go through that, that ebb and flow, um, of having so much and then losing it all and then trying to work and and, and have it back. And I actually tell them, well, then you never really, um, really know what your potential is until you've gone through all of that stuff. Um, because, you know, metals forged in, in a crucible, right. You know, so mm-hmm. tough times are just a part of, of this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been, um, you know, to the, to the mountaintop and back and then back up and then back down several times, um, all for different reasons. Um, sometimes investing in spaces, um, one of the most detrimental things for me is when I've actually invested in spaces that I didn't know well. Um, mm-hmm. industries that, um, I was not really close to, um, and also, um, ones where there was just really bad market timing. So I made some major investments in real estate, in a real estate company that I had, um, just prior to the 2009 recession. Uh, and so it just dragged everything down. You know, the timing was horrible, um, and it just had this cascade effect. Um, and so one of the things that, um, that I've learned as a result of that is even though some industries are, are popular, and of course real estate is once again really hot, everybody's trying to get into it, everybody's trying to own property. Um, although you know some industries rebound and it seems like they're hot again, um, stick with the ones that you know really well. And for me, that's technology. Um, I've Grew up a tech geek. Um, absolutely love new, um, new, new technologies and innovations. I follow them um, continually, uh, and so for me, I try to stick to the areas that I know well, and and that's mostly in the tech space. Makes sense. So, are you doing real estate? I'm a real estate investor. Do you do any real estate anymore? Or you're totally out the game now. Um, I own some property, but I don't do it actively. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a space where I I feel real estate is a, a solid business, um, and a solid market and is a great way to, to grow your net worth. Um, no question about any of that. Um, but the question for me is how, how am I motivated? Does it like really excite me when I get up in the morning? For me, the answer is no. Um, but I do feel that way around tech. And so that's another thing for, for young entrepreneurs to know is like, what, what really gets you going? What motivates you? What excites you? Um, because you're going to have hard days where you, (laughs) it's going to be a struggle to get up in the morning on on some days and get to work. And you're going to need that extra motivation. Like, Hey, I really love what I'm doing. Um, and for me, that's, uh, that's always been in the tech space. Beautiful. So what's, what's been the reward for enduring this arduous journey, Doug? I mean, you've been up, you've been down, but like, what's been the most rewarding part of it all? Um, for me, the ability to, to, to give back. I'm, I'm really big on helping to cultivate the next generation of leaders. And so um, throughout my life, I've been involved in a, in a number of things um, such as an entrepreneur in residence. Um, I've been entrepreneur in residence twice with um, 
a uh, accelerator in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've been entrepreneur in residence for Google and their Google for Startups program. Um, and it allows me to reach out to a network of founders who are just starting their ventures and really help contribute whatever it is that I, that I know and can help them with in those early stages. I can help them avoid certain mistakes in forming their company. I can help them avoid certain mistakes in um, hiring new team members or engaging their clients and, and, um, and the contracts. Uh, structuring their contracts and partnerships, those types of things I love to uh, to help people with. And um, <laughs> sometimes some people accuse me of spending an inordinate amount of time doing that uh, because I, I field about five or six calls a week um, or just entrepreneurs that are just looking for, for help. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm at this stage, um, you know, I'm, I'm building this platform and I'm stuck you know, I need help. And those are the, the calls that I love to receive, quite frankly, because I just love to, to reach out and help people. Nothing like a genuine heart and somebody truly willing to invest in others. But I guess you're following your example, right? There were so many folks that reached out a hand when you guys were getting started. So absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and it also, um, it stands to reason after you've done this a, a, a bit, um, you come to realize, uh, or at least I've come to realize that in my life, the more that I give, the more I get. Um, and it's, <laughs> it, it, it works out that way every single time. Like the more I can invest in someone that I'm not expecting anything from, um, the more that um, I receive benefit from somewhere else in, in the world. Maybe it's just the um, the golden rule or whatever you want, karma, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the more that I, I contribute to somebody else's journey, the more help that I get and the more momentum I gain. All right, Doug. So, you know, I, I think it's amazing that you, you spend that much time um, in sowing into others. And I mean, I know you said you get benefit from it from other places in the world and you don't even know where it's going to come from, but there's got to be more to it. Well, um, part of it is just that so many entrepreneurs go uh, or try to go through this journey alone, um, either deliberately and intentionally um, or just because they don't have the the right uh, level of support in the community around them to do it. And it's um, it's so hard to be a solo entrepreneur, um, even under the best conditions, right? It's just so hard to do it yourself. Um, you really do need a village of people around you that help support you, help encourage you, help um, advise you, um, and see around corners for you. Uh, it is just so essential, and it'll save you so much time and heartbreak and money, quite frankly, to, to have people around you that can, can do that. So um, for entrepreneurs that are in, um, like I talked to a bunch of people that are in rural, rural communities uh, throughout the Southeast and, and the Midwest and, and, and elsewhere, and they don't have like co-working spaces. They don't have entrepreneurial networks and um, folks immediately adjacent to them that can help them. And I'm just like, hey, use LinkedIn, you know, find somebody. Um, find three to five people that have the right skill sets and experience that you need in order for your companies to uh, to succeed. Reach out to them and just say, "Hey, are you willing to are you willing to help me?" 
you know, the worst they could do is say no. Um, and in most cases, people are more than willing to say yes. So for everyone out there that's struggling by themselves, hey, put a put a team of advisors around you, put a, a team of co-workers and, and co-founders around you. Um, you know, as the old adage says, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, go with others, right? So it's absolutely critical that you have a village around you. So seeing all that you've seen and, you know, doing all that you've done, what are you most grateful for? What am I most grateful for? Um, I am most grateful for um, just gracious people, right? Um, so many of my companies have been um, on the front end of um, of, of technology uh, waves. Like I've had a company in um, my last company was in fintech. Um, I had a a um, a financing marketplace, a lot like a uh, lending tree for commercial businesses that wanted to lease large pieces of equipment. And I've been in additive manufacturing and 3D printing, like industrial grade 3D printing. Um, and these are just just industries that are really new to the approaches that I've taken. So I've had a lot of people, a lot of customers um, take a bet on me, you know, just just say, you know, what, I, I don't know if, if this is going to work out, but, you know, I trust you. I know you're doing it for the right reasons and, you know, I'll help support you. I'll sign on. Um, I've had a number of people do that um, and, and buy into the vision and that's just faith, right? You know, it's just, um, it's, it's my faith that I have, that I'm seeing the vision correctly, that I'm judging the market correctly. Um, it's my coworkers and co-founders faith in me that they sign on for me most of the time working for free for a period, um, <laughs> with, you know, the betting that there will be some reward downstream, my customers, um, you know, they, they are making a bet on me. They have faith on, uh, in me and my team that we're on to, to something that can provide them with value. So it's just this constant circle of faith um, in each other and faith in what we're doing. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for gracious people that have, <laughs> you know, I've made mistakes that have, and people have stuck with me through those. Um, Customers have stuck through, stuck with us through technical problems and and issues. Um, I'm just thankful for for patient, gracious people. Hmm. Patience. That word doesn't come up very often with entrepreneurs, does it? <laughs> <laughs> it? It doesn't. And I'm horrible at it. You know, <laughs> that's the that's the irony. And and you'll learn. Uh, most people will learn, hopefully the people that are listening to this this podcast will realize there's so much irony in, in entrepreneurship, right? Because you can't be good at everything. And there are things that you suck at that um, that are absolutely necessary for your success. And it's important that you grow and realize, oh, you know what, if I can't do that, then I need to, to find somebody who who balances me out to be able to take that thing that I'm not good at or take that role that, um, that I suck in. 
And patience is one of those for me. I'm, I'm really impatient. Um, but it's these instances where I'm reminded, hey, people have been patient with you. Um, that really sorts to recalibrate me. And so it, that's been a growing point for me, becoming a little bit more patient. Um, and it's, I was telling somebody the other day, there's a, there's a football analogy um, that in, in football, our coaches used to tell us, you know, take what the game gives you. Right. You know, so don't try to, 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 you know, throw a 50 yard Hail Mary every single, every single play. Um, if the game gives you eight yards, take it. Right. <laughs> if the game gives you three yards, take it. Um, and that's patience and like seeing and evaluating the, the marketplace. Um, so it's not always a, a full all out sprint. There will be times when you do that, but you can't sustain that over time. So patience is absolutely key. Man, that's awesome. So many jewels dropped in that little section right there. So it, it seems like you've iterated throughout life, but I think we all have these, these big events. There's one big event and you know that your life is forever changed. And so while we haven't talked about that specific event, I know that you know what it is. And so when that event happened, what's the biggest difference between the way you used to approach life and the way that you approach life today? Mm, wow. Um, I've had um, probably three, maybe four events um, like that in my lifetime um, that were just really seminal life-changing events. Um, and most of them centered around um, two, two or three major key things. One of them is resilience, right? The ability to bounce back. Um, things are going to happen to you in life. Um, you treat them like lessons. Uh, as my grandfather used to tell me, you pay tuition for an education, which meant that, you know, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to go through rough spots, but if, if you're learning from it, it'll all be worth it. Um, and then I would say um, being able to uh, to empathize with folks. Um, I was the only son, uh, so I, there were um, I had three sisters. I was the only son, um, so I was quite spoiled growing up. Uh, and so empathy wasn't really my thing. Uh, for so many years, and I realized just how important um, empathizing with people and really seeing things from their perspective, putting myself in their shoes, gave me a completely new perspective. Right? Um, things that I had never even considered before. If if you'll just put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you'll start to see that there's a, a whole big world out there, um, and in a lot of different ways to look at the same thing. Um, and the last thing is just growth mindset. Um, all too often, especially for black entrepreneurs and black founders who've come from, um, you know, re relatively um, modest beginnings, right? You know, we, we tend to focus on what we don't have um, and to some degree kind of put our arms around and safeguard the little bit that we do have without thinking of, you know, looking at it from a growth mindset, like the world is full of abundance. The world is full of opportunity. The world is full of, um, you know, great uh, growth lessons. And 
we need to embrace it. And that's been a recurring theme throughout my life is really just opening up and realizing and embodying this, um, uh, this, this growth mindset that the, the world is full of abundance. It's out from, it's out there for me to go get it. And that has helped inspire me tremendously. Without question. So two more questions. And the first one is what gift are you giving the world? Wow. Um, <laughs> I would say, um, the key, one of the gifts that I give the world and internally with our team, we call it our, our personal superpower, right? Um, my personal superpower is to be able to see gaps and, and market opportunities that don't currently exist or that nobody else has seen. Um, so being able to take two markets, for instance, um, that have similar challenges um, where they could be combined um, an approach for both of those markets could be combined. Um, get, let me give you an example. Um, so right now I'm, I'm just launched a company called Annex Tech Partners. Um, and what we do is help large corporations to divest of technology products um, and software packages essentially that they've created. Um, but we help them divest of those in a way that creates growth opportunities for young uh, black and brown entrepreneurs. So on the one end of the, of the spectrum, you have corporations that invest a tremendous amount of money in new products, new software packages and the like. And for a number of reasons, those product lines aren't generating the types of returns that those corporations expected. And so many times uh, corporations like IBM and SAP and Oracle and Microsoft and others will literally just shut them down. They'll just shut down those products uh, just because they're too small for them to care about. You know, these companies are multi-billion dollar industries. Um, in IBM's cases, it's eight, they're $80 billion industries. So if a product line isn't generating a billion dollars, they'll literally turn it off or try to sell it. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have a number of young entrepreneurs that are trying to break into the tech scene that are struggling to achieve three things, and that's a working technology product, uh, significant revenue, and the last is a paying customer, uh, you know, a corporate customer or enterprise customer. Uh, and those th are the three things that corporations have in, in spades. So what we do is we actually take those, uh, we acquire those products that are too small for the corporations to care about, but are very profitable businesses, often doing 15, 20 million in annual revenue. And we extract those, create a new company around it, and hire uh, early career technical talent. Um, mostly black, Latinx, LGBTQ um, talent and put them around these products so that we can grow and scale them. And that's a, that's a perfect example of um, what I've done for most of my career is just take and see needs and, and gaps very differently from everybody else and try to create a new solution to fit, to fit those markets and bridge those two worlds. Wow. 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 That's impressive. So what's the one thing you would want a listener to take away from this conversation if, you know, they didn't hear anything else from you? 
Um, wow, the one thing. <laughs> That's a tough one because there's so many things. Um, I would say the most important is surround yourself with advisors. Uh, don't go it alone. Right? Um, find advisors, mentors, if you want to call them that, uh, that you can get on the phone um, all at the same time once a month and run your updates and challenges by. And you'll be amazed at what happens. There have been times where I've gotten five people on a call um, that I really trust that are close advisors and mentors, and I've literally just dropped a problem um, in the middle of them and just stood back and watched them figure it out because I'm too close to it and I can't figure out how to, how to solve it. And I've literally just, just dropped the problem in between them and they worked it out within an hour and I've just been amazed, but that's the beauty of having those types of minds all together in the same conversation. So have you had a coach for your business or done masterminds? Yes. Um, in fact, I um, occasionally help create masterminds for different groups in, in and around Durham and some of the markets that I work, work in because I think that's absolutely necessary. That's like a first step um, to establishing your own board of advisors, and it's great practice, um, and I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, I was just thinking about some of the stuff we worked out at the powwow over the weekend for people. And I was just like, yeah, this sounds exactly the same way, except a little less mm-hmm. formal, um, but yeah. still um, effective. So the thing that I worry about without it being formalized is, you know, the vested interest in actually Correct. solving the problem for the person. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's the, that's the you know, the, the line that you, you walk. But um, if you're just starting out, um, for founders who are just starting out or they're working by themselves, even just having that mastermind group is like 10x better than going it alone. Right? Mm-hmm. It's 10 times better. So, um, so it's, a, it's a great first step if, to prepare yourself for going to the next one for, to a formalized board. Wow. Well, this is awesome, Doug. I, I really appreciate your contribution to the Dreamcatchers community. And um, if, if there isn't anything else, I'll, I'll swing it over and, and tell you guys, if you made it to this point of the conversation, uh, you really enjoy what Doug had to share with you today. And I'd appreciate you sharing it with those folks in your community, giving us a rating and review if you haven't done so, and subscribing so that you can get updated the next time the podcast drops. Doug, thanks again, man. This was awesome. And we'll talk soon. Thank you, Jerome. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for doing this. This is absolutely necessary for our community. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.